that's so confusing on how the brain works. Yeah. It's like, it's like excitement and anxiety is the same deal. But the excitement, we think it's, you know, obviously we love to be excited. And so then with ADHD, um, sometimes literally the only thing to get done is to get really stressed. Like yeah. sometimes there is no other option. You have to, you, you, you have to get yourself to the point where it's an hour before you hand your essay in, otherwise you won't do it. Yeah, I do that. I do that a lot. I do that. I, I did that tonight, actually. Yes. I just did that. I just, I just, I just finished doing that a few hours. Yeah. But it's, you know, I think just natural. Yeah. The thing with people with ADHD, I think we believe, we, we kind of lose track of time. Where like, like time becomes, yeah, time becomes like kind of like not so important. Case in point. You know, and yeah, I was working on the bot last night, and I thought, fine, I'll fix it. And it was 1 a.m., and I thought, you know, I'll spend an hour, and then I'll go off to sleep. I didn't go to sleep. <laughs> I'm still operating without sleep. No, 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 no. You know, you know what's crazy about mental, like, a lot of mental illnesses is that you can actually capitalize it yeah. in a good way. Like, when I'm in psychosis... I can write, like, I'm writing a book. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I stopped writing. Like, I haven't wrote for legit, like, maybe three months. And that's because, of course, like, you know, I'm being stabilized. Yeah. But when I'm in, when I'm in that psychosis, it's like, I can't stop writing. Like, I'll, I can, like, imagine, like, what happened to me, like, five years ago. And it's so easy to type it down, like, so fast. So, then, like, when I'm, yeah. Yeah. The problem is, um, I guess that's one of the arguments against medication. It's sort of like a lot of people complain that it flattens them and they just do not have the drive anymore. Because, because with depression, it's different. Because with straight depression, in case of the only way you can go is up, right? if you've got something like, I don't know, ADHD or bipolar or whatever, where your moods, or BPD, uh, where your moods are just not stable, if you flatten yes. those moods, there is a real danger of losing creativity and a sort of emotional state. So, like, if you're writing a book and you're just completely flat, it's going to be just terrible. Like, have you heard that theory? Of, um, I forgot, but basically pharmaceutical companies, they would make a medicine for a disease that has, that does not exist. You know, of course, how, how it works is that they, you know, they get volunteers, they get volunteers to come in, they get paid to, to, you know, try, you know, try out this drug and, and tell us how you feel, you know, sign, sign, just sign here in case you die. You know, but, you know what I mean? Like the prop is like time and time and time again it's been proven that unless you're severely depressed um ssris are not effective in three out of four uh patients and yeah and for some like me some ssris can be just outright dangerous and the thing is I've spoken to many people and it was like, okay, what's your medication history? You know, I'm just genuinely curious. 
And they mentioned that, and they mentioned how that specific one made them worse. And I'm there going, yeah, I'm kind of not surprised. Because, you know, you know, the thing that sucks is that you, we kind of have to be uh, empathetic towards, like, our psychiatrists. Yeah. I know, like, before when I was much younger, I would, I would be so angry at them, like, because I would be like, can't you just help me? But then, like, as I got older, I started to realize that they can't just look inside our brain and figure out what's wrong with us. You know, they're, they they want to help us, but they they have to, like, try, like, certain methods. And they're also restricted on insurance. Yeah. And uh, of course, of history. Um, like, if you have a history of drug abuse, they're going to be like, oh, well, obviously, I'm not going to give this person um, benzodiazepines, Xanax, or, like, you know what I mean? I'm not going to give this person any any medicine that's addictive. It's kind of hard. And then I think we do take it out on psychiatrists. I, I, I've done it myself. I, I've, t- yeah. I, I've taken it out. Yeah. I mean, I've taken it out on many mental health workers. I'll be honest. Yes. But to be fair, I, on the other hand, with mental health, it literally sometimes seems to be a case of the louder you scream, the more likely you will get medical care. And it shouldn't be like that at all. It becomes a, you know, it becomes like an addiction. It's like an addiction in in the sense that like trying to find that doctor that will help you suppress those feelings that you're trying to suppress. You know, and it, it's terrible. Yeah, and that leads to a new problem where you start becoming entrenched in mental health issues. But then, how do you measure progress? Because if you're if you're on the medication, and that's why I believe therapy is very important to this. Yes. Because it's a case of if you're on the medication and then you, you're still thinking of the mindset you were before, if you can't shift your mindset, then what are you going to do about it? You're still going to be... Medication helps in cases where it's caused biologically, like let's say bipolar, because bipolar... we. You can't reasonably control it by yourself, right? Yes. So I, or ADHD, I believe that there are cases where genuinely medication is the only answer. But in some cases, a good, well-managed therapies sort of uh, program would probably be just as effective, really. Because some people have yeah. like horrible things in their past, really, and I'm one of them. That needs to be dealt with. And that's what I've been noticing that they are doing. It's sort of like they'll give you medication and they'll talk about the issues they're having, but they won't really talk about your past until you get into therapy. And therapy can be several months of waiting time. Also like trusting. Yes. You have to, you're not going to be vulnerable with your therapist the first day. Like, you know, mental illness is such a, it's such a hard you know, it, it's it's so hard to. I mean, I wouldn't say impossible to heal. Yeah, it's not impossible, but I think it's impossible to take control of. I mean, and for a lot of people, they're going to be struggling with mental illness for the rest of their lives. But you can learn how to lessen the symptoms in a way. You know, like what you were saying about SSRIs. It's funny because, hmm. yeah, like. I'm currently, I'm currently on SSRIs and I still have panic attacks. Yeah. I still have anxiety. And I had this mindset in 2015 or actually 
2014. So initially I was, I, had, I started off with Paxil. Yes. And I was like in 2011 and I was on it for like three years. And when I became a missionary, uh, I decided to get off of it because I was like, you know, I felt fine. I'm not going to lie. It worked. Like it was working. I would say like my panic attacks decreased. It didn't go away. It decreased. So a panic attack seven times a week turned into once a week, which is on many levels is actually some improvement. Yeah. That's a massive improvement. Exactly. You get to this point where you feel like you don't need the medication anymore. Yeah. And then I think a lot of us go through that. We're like, yeah, I feel fine now. Non-coherence rates to yeah. medication are quite high, especially as SSRIs really take about six to eight weeks to even start acting. So, oh man, SSRIs are, you know, they. I, I don't know why I still. I'm getting brain zaps, but I'm still on it. Like I'm still. It's not like I'm. I'm not like missing doses or I'm not tapering. Like I still get the brain zaps. I mean, the brain zaps suck. Have you ever had a, had a brain zap? Yes. Um, I've had a withdrawal from SSRIs before. It's not fun. It's medication, so it will affect you. And it may affect you in good ways, or it may affect you in bad ways. And unfortunately, with antidepressants, antipsychotics, um, mood stabilizers, whatever, um, it's a case of weak January. For some of those drugs, we do not know how they work. They they do work yeah. most of the time. Yeah. I mean, the think the success rate goes higher so you get off as their eyes, but the point I'm trying to make is you there is a certain level of risk involved in taking these medications. This this is why on the other hand, doctors would say if your depression is severe enough, then I mean, the benefits add way, risk in a way, so. I also, like, the main thing, I I also think there's a bias in this. All of us, we all, I mean, yeah. come on, we have to admit, we all have a bias. I mean, I went through, like, three or four medications before I found vaguely the right ones, so. Yeah. But for some people, it's, it's literally a case of they'll go on medication straight away. It's fine. No, I mean, this is what my, my I, had a, I had a psychiatrist, he's not my psychiatrist anymore, um, he straight up told me that the fact that you have ex experienced how it feels to be on Xanax, mm. I will definitely assure you that nothing else will ever work for you. Because, because like I, he's, he's like saying that, you know, you have, you know how it feels like to, to feel calm because of yeah. taking patient. So it's almost like, you know, the taste of what works. Yeah. But, he doesn't want to give me what works because of, obviously, yeah. um, you know, insurance, uh, he could lose his license or something, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of things. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of things, but that's the thing that sucks. So they, they push out these SSRIs because yeah, they, yeah. Like they, they give the alternative. I'll give you another example in the NHS. I, where I used to live in the Northwest, um, Waiting lists are extremely long, and uh, basically, apart from the GP and the crisis team, I really had no one else. I didn't see a psychiatrist within the two or three years of being in the system. That only really happened when I moved out to centres. 
within four weeks, I got to see a psychiatrist and then yeah. I got the right meds. I think, man, there's like, I don't know. You would think that like, you know, the way that the world is right now, you would think that there would be more support or more finances yeah towards like mental health issues like mental health like like speak for the u.s but it, yeah okay. yeah um i mean in the news you constantly see that uh mental health funding you know they're putting loads of money into it the problem is that actually when you look at it it's more of a boost into that area whereas if you actually look at the real numbers what's happening is that Mental health spending in real terms is actually falling year by year drastically. So I think we had something like the second lowest year for child psychiatrists, like ever recorded. And I mean, CAMS is already, CAMS is our like child service and it is so stretched and I've seen countless amounts of people go for our system and get the, basically nothing out of it because they simply do not have the time or resources because they are just severely underfunded. The problem is, yeah, this is happening to all public services in the UK, so I can't exactly go, the NHS is doing terribly, pretty much all services are doing terribly terribly but that's a topic for another day what can we really do for example universities i moved into university and first thing i got was this big booklet about mental health included right in my um, welcome pack for my dogs <clears throat> wow and i thought that was a great addition because this university which i go to um we put an emphasis on health so that's simple. There's universal counseling, there's adjustments when it comes to exams, and they really do the jobs correctly. And as I said, the, the problem is it's not consistent because if you go to a different university, you may or may not get that the same amount of care. So the reason why this happened at this university is because there's a massive awareness about this thing. And I think people who campaign for mental health continue to campaign about mental health because mm. I think there has been like a three or 4% rise since 1990 um, in the UK of people having mental health conditions. Now you could put that down to morals of society, but I think because we have an increased amount of awareness, that's what's caused the increase. But, okay, so I'm not, so I'm not like, you know, in tune with the UK. Yes. But, you know, a popular thing here and, you know, trigger warning. Gun violence and mental health. Obviously, Amer this is America and it's on the news. You know, if you don't watch the news, you could probably. Yeah. The thing here with mental health is that it, it's being attached to like, you know, all like these like, you know, mass shootings or something. Yeah. And, and so what I'm saying is like, what, what is the difference between like someone who's mentally ill in the UK and someone who's me mentally ill in the US? Well, both, I mean, I know that's, that's different too. Yeah. yeah. But why, why is it the, like, the, like here, 
Yeah, go ahead, Pro. Is that unfortunately, and I'm not going to say how to solve this because. Yeah, you know, how to solve it. Yeah, nobody knows yet. But unfortunately, in America, gun crime is such a massive problem. Gun crime is an issue. Do you think it's? Do you think it's maybe it's it's more easily accessible? Like like you can get one easily. I don't know how I don't know how the process is in the UK. Uh, to be honest, like don't like in the, in the UK. You need to okay in the UK to get a gun. Um, you need to apply for a license, and then yeah, you, and then you need to turn up at your local police station. The commissioner, I think it is, uh, has to sign something saying that this person's of good standing and is mm. not a is not a detriment to, I think it was the peace or others or himself. Yeah. And then, um, they go through background checks. The other thing is they won't give you a license without a good reason. So like, if you just want to go just to, you know, have, have a round for no, they won't give you it. Um, it has to be like, I'm a collector or like. I go hunting, I live on the farm, etc. Those are valid reasons. Yeah. Whereas America, my understanding is, as long as they do the background checks on you, um, you can literally just walk in and buy a gun. Pretty much, yeah. If you have, like, if you have the money, and, like, you know, I'm going a little bit um, dark, dark here, but... Yes. It's actually, yeah, it's easier to get it from an illegal source which is yes. kind of really bad. It's terrible. But, I mean, when you look at the data, most of the crimes that happen, it seemed, to, it seemed like that person owned, either owned it or had a family member who owned it. Yeah. Like it was in their home where it was accessible to them. The, the other thing is that what you define as mental health issues massive depends because a lot of the time when stuff like that is reported in the media, you could, a lot of people say, but he had no mental health issues. Oh yeah. The problem is mental health issues don't just mean you're officially working with a health organization and you have a diagnosed condition. They can come and go. And you know, you're, you're touching on like a really, really like something that I've been, yes, I've been like really passionate about when we see, when we see people in wheelchairs, like we're going to. It's kind of, we, we kind of have that initiative to like, you know, open the door for them maybe. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? And the thing with mental illness is that it's also a disability. So you can't see. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah. Completely visible. That's the problem. So people. Yeah. A, if someone's got a broken leg, then you can quite clearly see, oh, this person's got a broken leg. So this is how we support them. Whereas with mental illness, obviously as it's not visible, sometimes it can be very difficult to figure out how, what's the best way to support this person. And I mean, the other thing is we can't even like generalize it either because every, yeah, every mental health condition is different. Well, do you have an iPhone? Uh, Actually, you don't don't even need an iPhone. Do you have an Android? Yes. Yeah. Have you noticed that they're starting to put medical IDs on it? I'm pretty sure, like, the ambulance people know now, like, if the person has a phone, they're going to take the phone, or turn the, they're going to press the button, the, I think, on the iPhone. Yeah, uh, the emergency. Yeah. Oh, I see, with the emergency. So, so, you, yeah, so you get the medical ID, yeah. you can see 
medical conditions like mine right here, for, for example. Yeah, it goes down to like blood type and like. Yeah, I put mine here. Like, uh, I'm type O. I'm allergic to penicillin. I'm, I'm going to be honest. On the medical notes section, I wrote, "He is evil." And uh, I mean, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's good. You know, I'm. That's good for you. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't need some people just. Don't want to, and that's perfect. Yeah, no. Decision. Well, because it's like this: if you're an organ donor and you're at the brink of like, um, you know, the worst case happening, they will uh go through with it because they know that you're an organ donor and they need to see, sir, survive your organs before they fail. The so basically, like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'll just briefly mention this topic uh, on this topic. Um, in the UK, organ donations, most of them fail anyway, because it doesn't go, even though you may have written down, yes, I'm an organ donor, it doesn't matter because your family decides and, if, uh, oh. and it's an unfortunate thing that happens. So like 80% or something like that. No, I think here. Decide not to. No, I don't think it's like that here. Mm -hmm. I think it's. Once they see that you're, you have that pink dot, they're gonna they're Actually. gonna make the yeah they're gonna make that 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 decision like like is this person gonna survive or is this person like should we should we uh, salvage is it the word salvage yeah so we should, should we salvage the the organs yeah and um that like to me um yeah that's a safe way but then uh that's like it's yeah. really important I think everyone who like listens to this podcast like definitely have your your medical IDs on your phones. Yeah. Because uh, I had a seizure one time. Uh, I was working out of the beep store. And what triggered it, I believe, is caffeine. Because yeah. I, I was drinking boba. Do you know what boba is? Uh, I don't. I'm assuming it's kind of some kind of better drink. It's actually milk tea. Yeah, and it's very popular here in California. It's a, it has its high in caffeine. All I remember is that I was like, I was packing this box. Because I was working at the beep shop. Yes. And I was putting tape around this box so I can seal it. And then everything went blank. And I didn't, I didn't come back to consciousness until I was in the ambulance. Yeah. And then, uh, and that's when I was like, I was like, well, let, let go of me, let go of me. And then like one of the, you know, one of the ambulance guys had my phone. And I was like, what are you doing with my phone? He's like, I'm just checking your medical ID. It's open. Oh, interesting. I've never seen that before. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I was like, yeah, I'm allergic to penicillin. They'll give me, and I, you know, I just started telling him, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I can see you right here on your phone. <laughs> like, you, that, you, that is really cool that the work of yeah. technology. Speaking of, what do you think about the distinction between sort of like panic attacks and anxiety attacks? Because we we were talking about this in um, just before we were recording the podcast, and you mentioned that there should be a distinction between the two. Um, this is a personal, uh, definitely you know, like this is a like subjective. Hmm. Uh, I believe an anxiety attack is something that is, and you can't see it. Like you know, if a person's looking at you, um, there's a like you can't necessarily see that that person's having an anxiety yeah. attack. Versus a panic attack is where there's more audible, like like you're screaming, you're. Like, like a panic, you know, what does panic mean? Panic means you're, you know, you're in fright, you're frightened or something. So yeah. there's, there's a little bit more action to a panic attack. 
than an anxiety attack. Because you can have an anxiety attack and still be fully functional. Yeah. Like during a game and say you're playing a really cool game and you're about you can to be in a hunting mode. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, you know, you're having anxiety, but it's not, it's not I, like you're panicking. Um, in the case of panic attacks, I believe that anxiety attacks are a bit more like a flight or, or fight response. So you are fighting for your life, basically. But it's not, a, it's a case of you're, you have the adrenaline pumping into you. Whereas I believe that panic attacks are more sort of a, your body is literally on overdrive and yes, you are being eaten by a lion at this point. When it comes to extreme stress like that, some people have the response to freeze and apparently that's your body's way of reacting. Um, that's your body's way of reacting by uh, freezing because it thinks that you're being eaten and therefore does not try to spend its energy. And it's a really interesting response. That's it's probably why you feel like in a panic attack, you have that other body experience. Yeah. Where, I don't know, like it kind of goes away and, and there's also a dissociation. Like, yeah. Like personally, like I, I put my face in the pillow and I scream really, really loud. And I don't know why, but it's relieving. Mm. Like, it, it's, it's not good. But, I mean, I've, I've also heard that. I mean, it is one of the most, I mean, better coping mechanisms I've heard. Yeah. Well, what I heard is that don't fight the panic attack. Like, yeah. kind of, like, let it. I, I don't know. Like, you know, we see this all the time. Like, if you're having a panic attack, just accept it. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to just accept it. Yeah. And, and tell yourself, like, this is because of you know, this is anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. But then I, that's what I do. I do tell myself like, oh, you're having a panic attack. And then like 20, like 20 minutes, like fairly, like, you know, that's like, if it's a really bad one, yeah. you're going to be like, what the hell was I doing for the last 20 minutes? But then like, you know, you, you have this like block of time where you just allow yourself to like, yeah, just let it out. Just, just let it out. Like go ahead and. Slay it out. Cause, uh, and then like someone actually told me like the first, like, you know, the first 20 minutes of your, when you wake up, uh, go ahead and worry, go ahead and worry about like what you want to worry about. And then for the rest of the day, we go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like once you wake up, allow yourself like 20 minutes to worry about whatever, but for the rest of the day, don't worry. Just, just, well, uh, yeah. I do like that advice for, I mean, there's the practicality. Practicality. Yeah, I know it's it's a double edged sword. Yeah, it's a double edged sword. You're learning off the day of negative. Yeah, but on the other hand, um, I was gonna say that with anxiety attacks, um, I found that is quite good for that. Is sort of like if I and it, I, I mean it's even if it's in the middle of the night. Obviously, I do not recommend doing this if it's the middle of the night in your neighborhood. But I tend to go. Kind of, some nice long walks and then just like oh changing the, the environment listen to changing music the changing the environment is just generally yeah. a good idea yeah because no, only that's a big thing that's a big thing because you can just be in a really stressful and sort of it, it may not be like stressful in terms of the situation but it might be stressful in terms of visual and you know auditory uh, distractions and yeah. People who are particularly sensitive to those things, so let's say people with autism, people with ADHD, 
I have noticed that if I, from anecdotal experience, obviously, um, uh, this seems to re- relieve anxiety quite a bit uh, because they tend to be quite hypersensitive to these kind of things. So, yeah. Yeah. What's that called? Isn't there a word called positive stimuli and negative stimuli? Yeah. Yeah. They, so basically, like, say that you're, you have panic attacks in your room, like, all the time. I know like, this is something I learned. I used to have more panic attacks when, when my room was a mess. So, like, yeah. when my room was messy and it was cluttered with, like, stuff, my bed wasn't made, I would have panic attacks, like, yeah. Disease. And then when I, yeah, they kind of changed my life yeah. a little bit. I guess, like, like, this is my daily routine, which helped me lessen panic attacks. Is that right when I wake up, I make my bed. Once I make my bed, that's like productivity. And then I go right away, go take a shower. And that right there kind of, I don't know. It just, it just, uh, it just changes everything because it's a, it's the reward system in your brain. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, you're, you're basically starting the day off productive. I grew up, I'm not going to lie. Uh, for all my years having my own room, I probably did not make my bed when I woke up. Like I would just yeah. The way I mean, the way I look at my room right now, uh, I do not wish to talk about it. No, um, the yeah, I've noticed the correlation between my mental state and just general tiredness. So when I was really at my worst, couldn't actually do anything myself. So once again, uh, reliance on you know friends. Uh, can sometimes be quite good here because sometimes you just can't get out the hole yourself and that's i think yeah i think the if you use your resources appropriately um outside influences can be massively helpful to the recovery of your mental health i i think as i think you're right but it has to be you have to find the right people to be possible to obviously the right should definitely yeah because because yeah, not everyone will be receptive to um, mental health issues. Some people, it's a case of some people will find it quite scary because yes, they're not experienced. They, yeah, they've never dealt with anything like this before. Yes, and also, it's a case of you can start to have sort of a mental reliance on the person. And sometimes that can wear them out. So sometimes when that when you can see that happening, it's sometimes worth giving someone a break from it. It doesn't mean that the person doesn't care. It means the opposite. It's, it just means that sometimes they get a bit too invested in that. And obviously with mental health issues, they're kind of really difficult so anyway. So yeah, that might support them. No, I think, what happens is that people, people, they, since they're not trained yes, or, you know, they're not trained. And also, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily selfish, yeah. but, because but everybody has their own, interest. yeah, yeah. They have, to, and a lot of people have their own problems too. Yeah. And sometimes like meeting up with a friend is to kind of get away from, yeah, get away from those problems. You know, I, have, I think if you approach it in a, in, with, with, a, in a reasonable, just sort of, yeah. Yeah, because you can push people away. 
you get I mean, I'm saying this just from a, from ex, from experience. I pushed a lot of people away. Yeah. So did I. When I, when I, yeah, and when I really was just like screaming for help. Mm-hmm. And I used to blame them, but now I realize that it's not, it's not nobody's fault. It's not. It's just that, yeah, it's not anyone's fault. It's just that I wasn't, you know, it, it was just a bad situation. Yeah. It's just the nature of mental illness. It's just. And yeah. It was a bad And the importance. And this is why therapy, like you said earlier, is very important because these are people who spend their lives wanting to, you know, help us. Like, this is what they do. This is what they do best. This is their passion. So, you know, our friends, we come to them to kind of get away from the problems. Yes. We shouldn't, we shouldn't burden them too much because I know, man, from experience, I mean, that's why, you know, why, why, why do you think we're all on Discord? <laughs> we have to end, of course, with value. And I think the, what we were talking about needs therapy. Yes. So we should definitely um, therapy. Yeah. Yes. Something that definitely should be considered. And it's also a case of not all therapy is the same because we've got talking therapy, CBT, DVT. We've got yeah, actually, we've got substance abuse. We've got all sorts of different kind of things. So, what works for one person might not work for you. And unfortunately, sometimes it can be a case of you are put this through this try and error, but eventually you'll find something that will work for you. It's just a case of time. Sometimes, add money if you live in America. That's yeah. money. Oh uh, well, in uh, certain places, yeah. But yeah, I think I mean as long as you're on that mission to really yeah, you know, you're on the you have to have a goal, and like, you know your goal is to get your life stable or yeah, to get your life back on track. So as long as you're on that goal, I mean, you eventually you might you mean you might you know have some inconveniences. And you might, you know, be on the wrong medication and you might meet the wrong therapist, but you just got to keep trying. Yes. That's all you got to do. You just got to keep trying. As a lot of people say, admitting that you have a problem is the first um, step to solving the problem. And it, and it means you're halfway there to solving it really, because, you know, it's difficult to say to yourself, right, I, this is how I am. And I'd like to have aspirations to be like this one day. It's a massive step to take. Yeah. No, I mean, like, tell me the truth. Like, do you think you can look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself that, like, I have a problem? Like, you, like, they, they mean, like, just you in the mirror and you point at yourself and tell yourself that you have a problem? Like, I'd be, that's so hard. That, that is sometimes something I, I mean, sometimes I'm, I can do that, but that's quite rare. Yeah, like you have your still work on that, really. I mean, no, I have no, I have some days where you know when you're brushing your teeth, of course, is a mirror. Yes, I have some days where I look at myself in the eye, and I tell myself that I'm worthy. Like you know, I yeah, you know, I I'm not, I am not my diagnosis. Yeah, you know, I am not, I am not uh, X, Y, and Z. I am who I am because of you are a human. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm a human being, and I'm here to to help people. I'm here to, even if it's just on Discord, 
I'm here to make the impact because that's the reason why I was born. None of us were born without a purpose. We're, we all have some purpose here. And the thing is, right, at the end of the day, all you can do is just give it your best shot. Because if you don't succeed, no one's going to think any worse of you. And if you do succeed, then obviously, great, things are going fantastically for you. What's funny about that is that I think every, like most people don't realize that everybody is kind of so busy yes. about themselves to care too much about you. I mean, I'm not saying that in, in the in sense that they don't care about you, but like, just think of it, just put it like, you know, think about it. We are the center of our universe, whether we admit it or not. Yes. Because we are. Tell us the other people's viewpoints. Yes, exactly. We can only know what our minds are. So that's why it's like really important to like not really care about what people think and not to, not to like, you know, let it affect your life at all because you just don't know and it doesn't matter because, you know, we don't need validation from anyone for ourselves. We are going to discuss the issue of what happens when you get bullied about these things, of course, in later podcasts. But yes, in the vast majority of cases, people just get on with their lives because they know that if they stop staring stuff, then obviously it's not going to make it for a good existence, especially if you're at the same workplace or school or whatever. That's I mean, <laughs> yeah, what's it called? It's called the spotlight effect. So if you're listening, yeah. um, you want to, you probably want to list, uh, Google that it's called the spotlight effect. And it's usually, you know, it's, it's just the mind telling, you know, thinking so much highly, like thinking that we are, it's not so much ego. Sometimes it comes from uh, embarrassment. Maybe you did something bad, like, yeah. and you know, you're embarrassed about it, but so, but people kind of get over things faster than you think that they do. Yes. Like people forget it. They forget you about the memories on all that long. Yeah. Like people, for, people will forget like about things that you've done or they'll remember it, but then it won't going to be such a big deal anymore. Like some people will be more happy to see you rather than to not see you. That's what's important about. Yes. Having people who understand your issues and being in, being vulnerable, but to the right people. Thank you everyone for listening to this podcast and I hope to see you in the future.